0: Missed head on upstairs. Tyler and Mackenzie and Wes and Lara are up there, so have a blast, guys. Junior Church is so much fun. If you haven't heard it, you will. So we'll be in Mark chapter 5 today. Mark chapter 5. Thank you all for being out here. Pastor Monday is in Memphis, Tennessee today. Uh, he's at East Side Baptist Church in Memphis. Uh, Pastor Cutshaw was one of the pastors that came out this last fall for our stand conference, and they're doing that conference this week. So be in prayer for him as he's out there till Thursday. They'll make their way home on Thursday, so be in prayer for safe traveling. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, and I want to preach a message today that I've titled, Before You Give Up. Before You Give Up. Mark chapter 5 will be in verse 21, and here's the setting for this this chapter, Jesus Christ just cast a, a demon out of a, out of a man and had this huge miraculous thing happen. And he, he goes across the sea and he, he arrives at this area in Decapolis. And he's asked by a man named Jairus to heal his child. Jairus was a, was a leader at that time. And Jairus came to him and said, hey, I need you to heal my child. So look at verse 21. And it says, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship, On the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him, and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what she had done, what, what was done in her, and came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We love you, Lord, for bringing us out today. I pray that you watch my words tonight. I pray that everyone here is able to see what your word says I pray that there's someone in here who's on the verge of giving up, whether it's a a family crisis or a feeling of loneliness or maybe a sin issue, Lord, whatever it is, I pray that they can find hope and peace through your word. It's your name I pray, amen. When we were kids growing up, one of, I think I have my mic on. I think it's on now, I don't know. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? How about now? There it is. Okay. When we were kids, one of the things Dad used to take us to do all the time, those of you who don't know, my mom was a CPA, she still is, but she's self-employed. and She was working for a firm at the time, so that January to April time frame, Mom was extremely busy. And she still is, but she was really busy, and we were homeschooled, so those of you who don't know what homeschooling is, it means you get out of school around 12 or 1. It's awesome. I loved it. It was great. But Dad would have these afternoons with us, and Dad would try to figure out something to do to entertain three kids. So one of the common things he used to do was take us horseback riding. We went to a square, it was about a two mile square south of town, and we rode that probably four or five times a month. We had enough horses that we all got our own horse, and Kareth usually rode our mare lady. Uh, Dad would would ride um, usually coffee, which was Kareth's actual horse, but she was a little too untamed for Kareth. And then Uh, I would ride a horse named Gideon. He was fat and slow, so I really liked him because we were both at the same speed. And then Tyler would ride his horse named Doc. Well, we were out riding one day, and I remember, I I don't remember how old I was, but I remember that Gideon and myself had fallen behind quite a bit. You have to recognize something. I don't like running with the horse because I'll fall off, and Thane is allergic to pain, so I can't do that. So I remember going on this horseback ride, and I'm riding Gideon, and probably about a quarter mile behind and I'm thrilled with it because I'm just taking a nice relaxing stroll. You have to recognize horses are fairly social animals and they like to be in kind of a group. They kind of get lonely if they're by themselves. And Gideon was getting kind of lonely because all of his buddies is and their their siblings and his mom were up in front of us quite a ways. So I remember I kept holding him back. I was like, we're not running. I'm not running because there's dirt. There's cactus. There's rocks, everything. I'll fall. I'll break my neck. I'm not running. And you have to understand that I was a pretty stubborn kid, but horses are probably equally as stubborn. We're about a quarter mile behind, and Gideon decides he's sick of it, so he jerks the reins out of my hand, I remember, and takes off on a dead run. What I felt was a dead run. Dad said he was just galloping or jogging or whatever. But we're we're on this dead run now, as I thought. And I remember I'm hanging on for dear life to the saddle horn and to his mane. Like I'm not letting it go. And I'm scared to death that I'm gonna fall off. And I remember that this I felt so stinking helpless. We finally got caught up and he slowed down. But have you ever felt at a point in your life that you were completely helpless? Where life is going so stinking fast, where there's so many bumps and bruises in the road, and you don't know what's happening, and it, it kind of feels like on that horseback. And if you've ever ridden horses very fast, it's not a, a smooth ride, is it, guy? It's It usually can be a little bit bumpy. Where life gets so bumpy that you don't know what's going to happen. Financial crisis comes in, the bank account's getting low, I don't know what. what, I don't get paid for another ten days, and we just had this crisis come in with our health or with a car. My health isn't what it needs to be. I just can't seem to get better. My my family is in turmoil. My kids aren't listening. They're not doing what's right. Or maybe you've been struggling with the same sin for so long, and you're just deciding I'm I'm ready to give up. And maybe you've come to this point where you're like this woman or you've decided, you know what, I'm done. What's your reaction when you get to a place where the only logical thing that you think there is to do is to give up? You've gotten to that point in your marriage where all you and your spouse do is fight. You guys disagree. You you don't love each other anymore. You don't feel like you care for that person anymore, and you've just decided, you know, let's call it quits. We're done. We're miserable. But before you give up, let's look at what the Bible says. See, the Bible gives us strategy to overcome whatever is in our life. That's important for us to know. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Second Timothy 316, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God breathed. God had a part in authorizing the scripture and all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's valuable. It's necessary for doctrine. I always put it this way. Doctrine is what it's right. Reproof is what it's wrong. For correction, that's how to get it right. And for an instruction in righteousness, that's how to keep it right. The Bible gives us the things to do in Romans 10, 17. So then faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So let's look at this lady. We don't know her name. This is one of those no name people in the Bible that does something miraculous that we can learn from. But let's look at this lady. And before you give up, let's try this. Number one, direct your focus off your problem and on to the solution. If you're struggling with something, do this. Direct your focus off your problem and on to the solution. Look at verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. You have to understand a little bit about this woman. The woman had exhausted every resource she had. The Bible says Luke 843 is the mirror passage or the it's the same passage, just in a different gospel. And it says this and a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. You have to understand that this time in the Bible, she would have been a financially secure individual to afford doctors. You realize that health care was an issue way back then. <laughs> and she was a financially secure woman. She had been to doctors, healers, priests. She had directed her entire being into getting better. You see, by Mosaic law, because of her issue, she was considered unclean. Until that issue resolved, she could not be considered clean again. She would have been able to unsee her family, to see her family, to touch her husband. She couldn't shop in the normal markets or even go into regular places of worship. Her existence was dwindling and her will to keep going was probably at a minimum. When was the last time you felt that way? When was the last time you felt your back is against the wall and there's little to no hope to finding a solution? Your health is failing, finances are fleeting, family is crumbling. There doesn't seem to be an end to it. But before you give up, redirect your focus. Focus is defined as the center of interest or activity. Now, I am one of those people that if something bad is happening in my life, my entire focus is on that bad thing. So I'm not preaching to you from a point of view of like I've overcome this. No, I'm preaching to you from a point of this is what I struggle with. If something's going on in our church. If something's going on in my family. If something's going on in my personal life. All of my attention is completely focused on that. I was studying in dad's office this week. He, had, he said I couldn't. He has a journal in his office that I've looked through, to get, I've looked through with him before. And I opened it to a certain date back in 2006. Now, for those of you who were here in 2006, which is a small group, wasn't a good year. That was a really bad year. And I remember reading these things of people who were looking to vote my dad out and people who were causing division. And I remember seeing the end of this journal entry, my dad saying, God, I know you're going to do something you realize that every time he ended a journal entry in that journal, and he doesn't, and my dad is not a habitual journaler, so when he does, it's really, it's awesome to see. And, and he knows I, I, I've looked at this journal, so I'm not like spilling out stuff, but every time something bad happened, he always focused on what God was doing. So often we direct all of our interests and activity towards the negative things we are experiencing. Politics, health, family drama, whatever it is. I'm not saying that we just need to sit here and think positive thoughts. That's not what I'm saying. It's not <laughs> sending all the positive thoughts your way does very little. But what I am saying is that we need to be focused on the problem solver instead of the problem itself. It's so easy to end up at a place where life Fogs up our vision where we focus on the problems more than trying to find a solution. My dad tells a story when I was a kid. He was digging a hole with a guy in the church. I would have been maybe four or five at this point, and I was young. And this guy was digging this hole. He worked in concrete, and they were digging a hole, and his son was helping him out. And dad tells this story that they were going, and they're digging this hole, and they get about six feet down. And when you're that deep, you either want a ladder. Or you want some tool to help climb up. So they had put in steps dug out little steps and footholds so they could climb out of the hole. Dad says they were breaking for lunch one day and they all climb out of the hole while the sun is still in there. And don't know if he just didn't know or didn't care or wasn't looking, but he was trying to climb up out of this hole the opposite way. He wasn't using the stairs. Now, I have zero upper body strength. I'm looking for the stairs. I know my weakness and my weakness is went couples retreat. I tried to do a pull up on the pull up bar back there and I hurt myself immensely. So um, my upper body strength is not good. But this guy, I guess, thought he could get out of it by himself and kept trying to pull himself up out of this hole using his own strength while the way out of the hole was just over there. (laughs) How many times is that us? Hey, I know my problem, I know what's going on in my marriage, I know what's going on in my family, I see the problem in my spiritual walk, and you also see the way out of it, but you ignore it because it's uncomfortable. Because it requires work, or it requires sacrifice. The ministry of Jesus was one certainly and centrally focusing on him. Best example of this is Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verse 24, this is the story of Peter walking on water, and it says this, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if, thou, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Look at the miraculous thing Peter did as long as he focused on Jesus. Here's a question. Did the storm go away when he focused on Jesus? No. But he could do miracles to get through the storm when he did. Ladies and gentlemen, our problems are severe. Our, our, our doubts are there. I'm not diminishing the fact that you might be struggling with something. But what I am saying is that stop focusing on the problem and start focusing on the way to get through it. When our problems arise and the trials of life make waves, what are you focusing on? This woman we see made a choice. She had spent all she had. She had done what she could. She stopped focusing on her illness and her poverty. And instead focused on the person she heard could help her. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he would have been well known. They would have known he was performing miracles left and right. Jairus came up to him and was desperate and said, hey, I need your help. And this woman no doubt would have known that Jesus, the Messiah, the rabbi, the teacher is here. He can help me. And her focusing on Jesus led her to make an actionable choice. And that's number two. Redirect your, direct your focus off your problem and onto the solution. And number two, take steps towards overcoming your problem. How many of you just love doing laundry? Raise your hand if, like, laundry is, like, you know, there's, a, there's, like, four of you in this giant room. I am, I'm really good at washing the clothes. I'm really good at putting them in the dryer. I'm really good at putting them from the dryer into a laundry basket. It's at that point it stops. (laughs) Not saying you can walk into my house today and find a laundry basket with clothes. And I'm not saying that there's probably other people here. But some days that laundry feels like a (laughs) nightmare to do. I preached up in Steamboat last week and there's a family there that has 14 children. Yeah think your two is bad, 14 of them. They have two washers and two dryers. And Amy said they go all day long. I have one person and a dog living in my house, and it's overwhelming enough. But so often we look at laundry as it being this nightmare task. that just can't get over. But how do you get through it? You take steps to get through it, right? You grab the laundry basket throw it out on the bed, fold the laundry, put it away, and it's over, right? But it's going to come back. But you see, that's our life. Sometimes our life feels like that problem is just sitting in the laundry basket waiting for you to actually address it. I'm not going to talk about this issue with my friend. I'm not going to go to my pastor about this because my husband and me are struggling. I'm just going to keep it right there, and we'll get to it eventually. I'm struggling with an addiction. I've been struggling with this for years, but I can't open up about it to anyone because it's embarrassing, so I'm just going to keep it right there. You see, our faith means nothing when we don't put feet to it. When you see the problem you have, you direct your focus to the resource to help. The next step is to make practical choices to get better. These are choices that will help you get to the goal you have set The problem with a lot of Christians who struggle with sin is that they don't want to put work into getting over the sin. The woman we meet here is placed into a position where she can get, she sees the way to get better and she makes a decision to move towards it. You recognize this disease, this plague of the blood, her this disease would have made it difficult to move. She would have been exhausted easily and in pain. Her commitment to Jesus was greater than the thing holding. Her back. And ladies and gentlemen, our problems are big. Like I said, I'm not here to diminish someone's struggles. I'm not here to say, hey, the problem you're going through, it it doesn't mean anything. What I am saying is that the Jesus we serve is greater than those problems. The Bible uses the term called stronghold to define these problems we have in our life. 2 Corinthians ten three through five for we though we walk in the flesh we do not ward after the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they're not material they're not earthly but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds you see a stronghold in Paul's time who wrote this epistle would have been a strategically placed fortification in a city it would have been close to the center of the city or at a high point in the city this would have been the most heavily fortified heavily armored heavily stocked area in the city. This is the place you would send everyone to go to when the outer walls were breached. And sin has set up those strongholds in our lives. You realize a stronghold in that time when a conquering king would come or someone would come, they would actually not attack the stronghold. They'd waste too many men to get through it. Instead, they would camp around it and starve them out to where they'd lose resources. You know that's what sin does to us. You know our problems create such a tight hold in our hearts and in our minds that we don't feel that there's a way to overcome them. They're taking up a fortified position in our lives, in our minds, and without taking action against them, we cannot have victory. Do you realize the stronghold of sin in your life doesn't have a weakness? It has unlimited resources. You can't starve it out. You've got to clean it out. To overcome sin, we have to do battle with it. It's not a negotiation or a time to find peace. It is warfare. So what are some of these choices we need to make in our battle? If you're struggling with something, what do you do? Well, here's some practical things. Number one, we talked about this in Sunday school. You've got to admit that there's a problem. Do you recognize that every person in this room has problems? Do you realize that every person that's ever preached behind this pulpit has problems just like you? We've got to come to the point where we're honest with ourselves and with God. Hey, I've got a problem. Hey, my my marriage is crumbling. My my life is going to to pot. My, My family is crumbling because of my addiction. My finances are stressing me out. Admit you have a problem but get help from someone who's qualified. First person is God. Before you go and seek a psychologist or even seek a biblical counselor, before you run to a pastor saying, I've got these issues, what have you talked to God about? What have you brought before God? Get help from someone who's qualified spiritually and physically mature. That's why the church exists. There are people in this room that I would go to for help because they've experienced life, they've experienced hardships, and they've walked through them. Be concerned. Find people who are concerned with your with your health and your help instead of gossip or judgment. Don't go to that coworker complaining about your spouse because of everything they've done. Don't go to that parent and Say, hey, my my wife isn't doing what she should be doing, so I'm just going to complain to you about it. That's not healthy. Don't go to your pastor reaming someone out who has done something wrong to you in the congregation before you've gone to them. Ladies and gentlemen, we all have problems. Admit the problem, get help from someone who's qualified, and then build up those defenses in your life. You realize that God considers our sin, our our fight with sin as war. And he's given us a weapon, the Bible says. What did the Hebrews say? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Build up defenses in your life. Make your relationship with God a priority. Make it the priority. We had our uh, widows and widowers fellowship and this last week and we had a time where everyone kind of shared their testimony. And there were some of them I had never heard. But some people said, you know, I got angry with God. I took my husband. My husband's gone and I got angry. And one of the most consistent things throughout every testimony was. The closer I got to God, the better it got. You know, the 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 better, the more I got involved in what God's word says in my relationship with God, the better I felt. It's not a replacement, but it's an aid to help. Reevaluate your values and influences according to the Bible. What you put into your life is what you're going to put out. The things you read, spend time doing, the people you're around, even music and TV play a crucial role in our development. If you're struggling with sin or if you're struggling with some problem, be careful of what you're putting in. And place barriers in your life to protect against an incursion. I say this as someone who's had to do this. Victory will only come through sacrifice. You're probably going to have to lose something. The Bible calls it cut off. Call it a radical amputation. Paul says, would you rather lose your hand and then it offend you? Sometimes we got to cut something out. Maybe it's a relationship that you just know you shouldn't have. And, well, I'm trying to win this person to the Lord, but you just see them bringing you down every time. Well, it's time to pray for that person at a distance. Maybe it's something in your home that you guys have been watching or listening to, and you just have noticed it's affected your family's life, and it's time to get rid of that. Maybe it's, maybe it's a substance or maybe it's an addiction where you decide, you know, I'm going to take drastic steps to get through this. Hebrews eleven one says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's what we want to happen, but it's the evidence of things not seen. When we decide to make our faith more than just a thought, we will see the evidences of it. When we decide to acknowledge the fact that Jesus can give us victory, we'll see His peace. So after you've directed your focus off the problem and onto the problem solver. So often that's where a lot of people stop. Like, you know what? I know what I'm supposed to do. I know who can help me. But if you stop there, you're gonna stay there. Realize victory requires you to work a little bit. I'm not saying your salvation does. But I'm saying, as someone who's who's experienced this in my life, and I've seen it in people in church. If you know there's a problem and you recognize that Jesus is the answer, start working that way. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with guys who said, man, I'm struggling with pornography. I I can't do this anymore. My relationship is is at an end. I I can't stand this anymore. I want to get better. I feel shame and guilt. I know what I need to do. And they stay in that thought of I know what I need to do, but they never do it. Put feet to your faith. And then lastly, surrender to Christ's power through his grace. Direct your focus onto him. Put feet to your faith and start surrendering to his power through his grace. Look at verse 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy place. This woman's small decision to, to grab the coat of Jesus. Surrounded by others, desperate and dying, but having the faith to take the step and do a small act of faith, the woman was miraculously healed. We see an interesting interaction from Jesus here. The question is, he asked a question, who touched me? The question I would ask is, why would the omnipotent savior of mankind ask such a tedious question? Here's a, here's a tip for your Bible study. If Jesus ever asks a question, he's not, he usually knows the answer before he asks it. I taught the kids in Quam what rhetorical question means. I used the phrase just off the cuff. I said, it's a rhetorical question. One of the kids gonna be like, what's that? So I'd have a little lesson. So some of the kids know what rhetoric is. But Jesus asked this question for a reason. And here's what I think. You recognize that the woman was unclean and it was, she was taking a huge risk approaching Jesus. She was lawfully and unclean and touching a teacher like Jesus would have made him unclean also. Surrounded by people that were loyal to him, touching their rabbi and making him unclean would have been a death sentence on this woman. And Jesus turning and asking the crowd and then seeing a trembling and fearful woman is a perfect example of of what grace is to us. By custom she should be punished, but by Christ's love he offered her healing and peace. Do you recognize that's each and every one of us? The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. What we earn because of our sin is death. What we deserve because of our sin is death. What we what we earn is separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life. I'm grateful that a gift you don't have to do anything for. You don't have to pay a certain amount. You don't have to do certain things. God has offered that freely for you just to take. We're all in that same boat. We're sick. We're broken. We're battered. We're ugly. We're unclean. We're unworthy. But by grace, we can see God work in our lives. Jesus asked the question so her story can be a testimony, both of her faith And to his power. You realize Jesus could have walked on. Knowing what had happened. Knowing that he had done something that this woman who has been praying for for over a decade. And he could have walked on and her life could have been the same. But he saw it as an opportunity for us to learn about what grace actually is. Grace is God taking us at our worst and saving us despite it. Jesus asked the question so our story can be a testimony. Our testimony can be the thing that pulls someone out of darkness. Never look down on your testimony as something that's negative. Always look at it as a, as a picture of God's grace. Jesus does not look on our sickness. He looks on our potential. He defines us by love, not by the law. Psalm 103, verse 13, He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sin, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Verse 17, for he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. True peace comes when we surrender our fear over what might happen. And instead, live in the fact that forgiveness and healing does come when we're honest to ourselves and to God. I'll rat on my brother and sister and myself again, because it's fun. And there's a lot in our life that we learned. When, you're in, when I was in preaching class, they always told us, pull illustrations from your childhood, so here's a good one. We were kids. We lived right actually over here where the big red barn is. That's where I grew up. We lived there for 13, 14 years, and one of the games we played in the pasture, and I'm all the teens in here who are listening are kids. Don't do what we did. That's my caveat. Mom and dad, I'm sorry, I'm gonna tell the story though. We used to play tag when we were kids. Everyone likes tag, but we modified it with a dodgeball. Like dodgeball tag. We also modified it further, and the person who is it got to ride the four wheeler. Following? You never dismounted the four wheeler you ran that person down and threw the ball at them. Uh, you didn't run them over all the time, but the, the goal of it was you had to run after the person and hit him with the dodge ball. And I want you to know that out of the three of us, Kareth was the most vicious at it. She was pretty stinking accurate with that dodge ball on that, on that four-wheeler. Now you have to understand that all of us are right-handed. If you've ridden an ATV, the, the gas is on the right hand. So you could throw with your non-dominant hand you're not accurate enough, so you're not going to win the game. So we would modify it, and we'd put the ball in our right hand, and you'd drive with your left hand across. Yeah, all the moms in here just got hives, as I'm saying. Well, we were playing one day, and I remember I was hiding on the on the north side of the house, and the goal was you had to go out to the pasture on the four-wheeler, make a circle, and come back. By that time, it was fair game. Well, Kareth had seen me go around the house, because she was cheating, and so I'm running around the house, and she's full speed trying to get me. And I remember I, I saw only one way of escape. said, if I can get around the light pole that h- hangs right close to the house, there's one of the big telephone poles that will light up. If I could get around that, she doesn't have the turn radius I have to catch me. said, so I'll get around that and then I'll be fine. Well, Kareth didn't turn. I remember Kareth hit that telephone pole head on. Now Kareth was fine For you all worried completely unscathed the four-wheeler not so much we had a metal bumper bar and it was all bent up and the fiberglass it's actually outside out here if you go see the it's all still a mess the fiberglass front on, on it was all cracked and I remember all of us thought the same thing wait till dad gets home you guys know that sinking feeling I'm like I'm in trouble how do we fix it so Tyler and myself and Kareth we were all pretty creative so we wheeled the four-wheeler back into the barn, and we said, let's put it in the back of the shed, let's cover it up with a tarp. Dad's been super busy with stuff at the church. He won't notice about it for a few days, and we can figure out a plan. So I remember it took about three days, and during those three days, that tight feeling in your stomach of guilt, thinking Dad's going to find it, and every every time, you, I mean, we were really good at doing chores. Dad, I'll do all the chores so that you don't have to go outside. Dad, I'll clean the shed, you don't have to touch that. Dad, do you need anything from outside? I can go do that. I mean, we were the best kids for those three days because we just want to keep dad as far away from the shed i remember we got on the online and we had the one family computer in the house and we got all three of us crowded around there tyler's on google or whatnot and we type in the parts we need and we knew we needed the front bumper and we're like tyler and myself have been mowing some lawns and we both had a had a savings account like we can maybe find a way to move the money not knowing that my mom is probably one of the most meticulous people with finances we underestimated her a lot but we Googling these parts and find out it's like six or $700 to fix this. When we saw that triple-digit price tag, Kareth was thrown straight under the bus. (laughs) But I remember, we ended up telling Dad, we actually told Kareth, you've got to tell Dad, because you have to understand. I don't say Mom and Dad play favorites, but if Dad did, Kareth would be it. Not saying he does, but if he did, Kareth is it. Daddy's little girl, you know. We said you got to go talk to Dad. And I remember talking to Dad, and there were consequences, you know. And we ended up getting it fixed, and it, it semi works. Um, we don't like it, you drive it just for insurance purposes, but yeah, don't, don't let Wes drive it. But I remember we got to this point where we were so scared of what Dad will think that fear of punishment and consequence. But ladies and gentlemen, God's not like that at all. Now, I'm not saying there aren't going to be consequences for our sin, but God offers us peace with our sin. God doesn't look at us as offenders. He looks at us as his children. If you've accepted Christ as your savior, you are accepted into his family. You are considered a child of God, and God looks at you with love and care and mercy. Psalm fifty one, if you wanna if you want a passage on confession, Psalm fifty-one is it. King David was had just committed a atrocity, had adultery with Bathsheba that resulted in a child. He had Uriah, her husband, murdered. I mean as 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 wicked as you can get, David had it, but Psalm 51 is after Nathan, the prophet, comes in and says, Thou art the man, he confronts him with this sin, and he writes this psalm in response, and the first four verses are this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness; according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee. The only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. You see, this woman is greeted with the most comforting statement you can imagine. Daughter. Jesus looks at her as not someone who's unclean, but as someone who relied on him for healing. He accepted her despite the problem. You can imagine the comfort she experienced at this time. No one showed her love in over a decade, and the first person she touches accepts her without hesitation. Why are we so scared to be honest with God? When the reaction we'll receive is one of love. He doesn't love our sin, but he loves us as people. Why do we decide to live in our sin instead of getting rid of it? Why is pride such a, such a hindrance in our lives? Statements like, I don't think it'll change. Frankly, it can't by yourself. Statements of, I don't want people to look at me differently because of this problem. You see, Jesus will take care of that. Statements like, you don't know all the things I've done in my life. You're right, but Jesus does, and he died for it. There is nothing that you have done that Jesus cannot forgive. So forget the fear and start moving through faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we love you. God, you've given us so much. God, we think of this woman. We don't know her name. know her name but God I pray that you allow her story to be a help to each and every one of us God whatever it is we're struggling with whatever the problem whether it's our our marriage our finances our health maybe it's a wayward child maybe it's a sin taking a stronghold in our lives I pray that we can come through that we can focus on you we can make those choices to get better and we can surrender to your grace I wonder with every head bowed and every eye closed What will you be doing?